All right. Well, good morning once again. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 28. Acts 28, we will be spending time in the first uh, 10 verses of Acts 28. Can you believe it? We have arrived. After nearly a year and a half, we are finally in the final chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've thoroughly enjoyed our time together through uh, this Acts of the Apostles and have often been reminded week in and week out of the importance of the ongoing mission of the church that didn't stop at the end of Acts 28, but actually continues even today. So I invite you now to uh, pick up the text beginning in verse 1. We'll read through verse 10, and I invite you to follow along, whether it be in your Bible or on the screen behind me. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him. And laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the sick, the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us, encourage us, equip us today that we may recognize you as the great provider, that we may live to learn to trust you more with every situation and in every circumstance in life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard the expression, when you're given a bag of lemons, you make lemonade? We know that, right? The big idea behind that, I maybe don't need to tell you, but I will, is just simply when life happens and we're faced with many difficulties or challenges that maybe we weren't expecting, We have options in how we proceed through our situation. And oftentimes, we're encouraged to do the best we can 
with what we have to endure a variety of different seasons of maybe hardships or difficult times in life. To make lemonade out of lemons is to see our situation and circumstances as an opportunity to trust God and to allow him to do in us, through us, and for us what he can. I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul by now had just spent two and a half years in prison unjustly. He had appealed to uh, Caesar in Rome for his case to be heard by Caesar. He was imprisoned in Caesarea Maritima, which is on the Mediterranean Sea, on the western shore of northern Israel. The Apostle Paul, along with 276 other people, got on a vessel and they left the port of Caesarea, making their way to Rome. Along the way, they had numerous stops. One island, they got off that boat and got on another boat. They were swept out to sea and they took the absolute longest route they could possibly take to get to Rome. Nearly 600 miles, they were at sea for numerous days while there was the nor'easter, the big storms. There wasn't sun, there wasn't light, low clouds, heavy winds, a lot of rain, disorientation, hungry, beaten down. Yet God showed up and he promised Paul that he would stand before Caesar in Rome and that he should not fear, that he should trust that God will get him there. And as a result, Paul turned to those who were on the boat and said, don't worry, we're going to be okay. God's got this. We're going to crash this ship, but we're all going to survive. Well, they crashed crashed the ship, and they all survived just as God said they would. That's actually where we pick up at the beginning of Acts chapter 28, because at the end of Acts 27, we don't really know what island they shipwrecked on. We just know that they wrecked their ship, and it was falling apart, and people were swimming to the shore, and they were grabbing what they could to float on for those who couldn't swim, and they made it. But once they were safe on shore, we learned, verse 1, that we were on the island of Malta. Well, where in the world is Malta? Ilita is another name known for it, but Malta is an island that is straight south of Italy. Uh, Sicily is south of Italy, and south of Sicily is a little island of refuge known as Malta, about 60 miles south of Italy. So, If you know what Italy looks like, it's that boot-shaped piece of land that dips down into the Mediterranean Sea, and just south of the lower part of the boot, we find this island called Malta. Well, on the island were natives of Malta. Uh, The Greek word here is uh, barbaros, and, and it's actually where we get the word barbarian from. It's an interesting word because For Greeks and Romans, oftentimes people who didn't speak the language of the culture were referred to as uh, barbarians. 
for the reason that the language of their native uh, dialect sounded to the Romans and the Greeks a lot like bar, 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 bar. And no joke. And so as a result of that, natives oftentimes were looked upon as being maybe less than. They were viewed as being culturally and intellectually inferior. Oftentimes, they were also viewed and understood to be savages. But here, Paul and these 276 people on this ship that wreck onto the island don't encounter barbarians who are savages, but they encounter barbarians who are kind and gracious and welcoming. The people of the island were very kind to us. It says in verse 2, some translate this into extraordinary kindness or unusual kindness. It's it's where we actually get the word uh, philanthropy from. It's a love for humankind. It's a type of benevolence that is extended to others that is an expression of love or, or hospitality, of entertaining strangers, welcoming them in and caring for them in light of their circumstances. The text tells us it was cold, it was rainy. So the natives, they, they built a fire provided an environment where not only were they welcomed in, but they were now uh, comforted by this fire as no doubt they were cold and shivering. If you've ever come out of the lake and it's been cold and you know what it's like and in the summertime, we build those fires at night and we gather around them to warm up and, and you just know, you can just see this is the type of welcome that they were receiving. Natives were superstitious people on the island of Malta. They believed in many of the mythological gods. They believed, maybe you could say, in, in, in karma, or they may have believed that uh, if you did bad things, bad things would happen to you. And so justice ultimately would prevail over you, and you would give account for your actions. They wouldn't associate that with uh, the God of the universe as bringing about some sort of justice into society. They just would say one of the gods caught up with you and you were subject to uh, maybe their wrath once they did. But as Paul, who was, remember, a leader on this ship, he was a prisoner who turned into a leader. He was the one who provided them with uh, both uh, worldly wisdom to say we shouldn't set sail because of the season, because of the storms, because of what we know about what is before us in this time and in this place. But they didn't listen to Paul's advice, and so they said, we're going to set sail. And if you remember when they did, it was a gentle breeze that was sailing them along. And remember, we, we, we talked about how it was kind of like, see, Paul, I don't know what you're worried about, but isn't this good? And then remember, the storm came up just like that. The nor'easter, it came out of nowhere. It beat, it battered the ship, it sent them off course. 
It was another kind of wisdom that Paul uh, stepped up and led from, but this time it wasn't worldly wisdom based on circumstances. Remember, it was divine revelation upon which God showed up and he spoke to Paul, and as a result of that, Paul was able to share with others an encouraging word to say, do not fear, for God is with us and he will see us through. This might be obvious, but leaders lead. Isn't that true? Leaders lead. Paul was a leader on this boat. Though he was a prisoner, God gave him favor, and as a result of that, he was able to step up and step in to his divine position at a divinely appointed time to bring a divine message of hope and encouragement to the hopeless. Something else we see about Paul and his life as a leader is that as he enters onto the island, though he was a leader amongst them, there was no task that was too small for him. What did Paul do as he entered onto the island and he stepped into uh, the welcome that was received? Verse 3, he gathered an armful of sticks that was laying, and he was laying them on the fire. He became a participant in providing for the comfort and the means of the people. I wonder how many actually participated in gathering sticks to build the fire to comfort others. It doesn't tell us. We just know that Paul was one of them. Well, as a result of it, the heat had woke up a snake. It bit him. Verse 4, the people of the island saw it hanging from his arm, and they said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. The superstition of what they believed resulted in the fact that he might have survived this crazy experience on the water but the gods out there allowed him to live so that he may enter the land and die. This word justice in here, it's maybe not a reference to the word of justice which we think of, but it was actually a reference to a mythological god. So when you think of it and you read it from that context, it, it helps to understand that this mythological God, justice, will not overlook this murderer, and now that he's on land, is going to take care of business. But remember, Paul was not a murderer. He was a prisoner who was unjustly imprisoned, and God, in his providence, was directing all things so that he could work all things out for his good and for God's glory. Paul shook off the snake into the fire. He was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up and die. And as they waited a long time, they recognized it didn't affect him. He wasn't swelling and he wasn't dying. And so they made that shift from seeing him as a murderer to a god. Isn't this just like people? 
Aren't we quick to judge others? You ever find yourself there? I mean, you look at somebody's life based on their circumstances and you're like, oh man, I wonder what they did to deserve that. Glad I'm not them. Then they get through that and you're like, wow, I want to be like them. I wonder, wow, I wonder what they did to maybe gain God's favor. I mean, wow, what a blessing. I mean, we waffle, don't we? We judge others, don't we? Oh, it's so wrong. We shouldn't do that. One commentator said, leaders usually live their lives on the mountains or in the valleys, the mountain tops or the valleys below, seldom able to enjoy the peacefulness of the foothills. I think that's true. I know I find myself there often. I'm either your biggest fan or your worst enemy. Not really. You guys are really gracious as a congregation. But not all of you have been. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that, right? But honestly, I mean, as long as we're good, we're good. But if there's a time where maybe I say something that makes you uncomfortable or you don't necessarily agree with, um, I hear about it. And I'm okay with that. But we have to learn to live graciously with one another and for one another. For leaders and for many others, life is like a yo-yo. It's full of ups. It's full of downs. Seldom do we experience a season of calm. That's life. But for the Christian life, I think what many of us desire more than anything is this calm within life. I mean, even for non-Christians, people want that too. And then when bad things happen, what's the most natural tendency for us as people? To blame God. Isn't that true? We blame God. As Christians, we blame God. As non-Christians, we blame God. But life happens. None of us are exempt from it. Yet God promises to see us through. Near the shore where they had landed, you can actually still go there today. It's called St. Paul's Bay kind of a neat place if, if you ever want to go there. I haven't been there, but I read all about it and saw lots of pictures, and it looks pretty neat, I guess. So I can't say firsthand it's neat. I can just tell you it looks neat. Someday I'm going to go there, and I really look forward to that too. But um, if you've ever been there, uh, I'd love to hear about it. But near the shore where they landed was an estate belonging to Publius. He was the chief official of the island. He welcomed everybody in, and kindly treated everybody for three days. This was likely the man who was appointed as the Roman uh, governor of the island. The text seems to imply, but doesn't really tell us, how many he welcomed to his estate. I guess the question is, did he welcome all 276 people, or did he welcome just Paul and some of the other people? We don't really know. What we do know is that whoever was there, Paul was, Likely Luke was because he's writing about it. And we also know what happened while they were there. 
It happened as Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. And now this is likely some sort of parasitic bacteria or something like that. People were oftentimes sick and ill on this island for months, sometimes years. But here was Publius's father. He was sick. Paul went in and he prayed for him, laying his hands on him, and he healed him. What an opportunity. Just think of what Paul's been through in the last few weeks. It's been an absolute chaos of life. Yet he enters the island. He's welcomed. He comforts those he's with. He's invited to the governor's mansion, upon which he is cared for. And yet he still sees opportunity around him to meet the needs of others. I don't know where you would find yourself in this situation or circumstance, but I wonder if I wouldn't just be willing to take in the comfort and care. I wonder how much I would be actually paying attention to the needs around me in this time and still willing to give however I hope and I pray that I will be like Paul and be that man. Then, as a result of the healing of Publius's father, all the other sick people on the island came to meet Paul and were healed. doesn't tell us this, but I think that there's actually two different Greek words that are used in the healing of these two different people, Publius's father and all the others who came to be healed. One of them is an indication of an instantaneous healing, which was Publius's father. The other was uh, healing that took place possibly over time. You remember what Luke was? He was a doctor. Is it very likely and very possible that though there was miracle after miracle happening, that Luke was there because God wanted him there to provide the care that was needed and the assignment needed to give what people needed so that they could be healed from a lot of their diseases. I think so. What we see in all of this is how God is working all things out and proving himself to be the great provider. At the end of this passage, as a result, they were showered with honors And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything that we needed for the trip. Later on in the passage, it tells us they spent nearly three months on the island. Interesting enough, Luke never writes that Paul shared the gospel with others in their time there. But I don't want to believe he didn't. And I think there's enough evidence to prove that he did. One statistic I read recently about the island of Malta suggests that there's 100% of the population today is Christian population. The gospel got there somehow. I happen to believe it was Paul who brought the gospel there. As we look throughout the gospels in the rest of the New Testament, what we discover is that God oftentimes used miracles to confirm his message, and to affirm his messenger. I happen to believe that the miracles and the healing that were taking place 
gave Paul the platform to share the gospel with others. There's something else in here that is implicit, not explicit, but it's just an observation I'm going to make, and it's this. The Apostle Paul, though it doesn't say he shared the gospel, after three months, the very fact that the islanders, the natives, brought all the supplies that the 276 people needed to continue on in their journey was an indication of something. Their kindness towards others continued, which was how they entered the island, but it continued after they were on the island. And I don't know about you, but when the gospel is proclaimed, you either make friends or you create enemies. And the very fact that three months later, We have an island full of friends who are meeting the needs of those who are being sent off. I think is a good indication that the gospel was preached and it was making a difference in people's lives. One thing we do know is that God used the islanders to provide the needs, to meet the needs of Paul and all those with him. We also know that God used Paul and the prisoners, and all those on the boat to meet the needs of the islanders. So I want to take just a few minutes and ask this question, what opportunity is God giving you to meet the needs of others around you? Think of your life, think of your situations, think of your circumstances, whether it's good or bad right now. Are you willing to pay attention to what's going on around you? We recognize in this passage that God is the great provider, that God can and will use any means he chooses to meet our needs and to meet the needs of others. Sometimes God permits things in our life, difficult things in our life, so that he can work through us for the benefit of others and to display his goodness and his glory. I can't always make sense of that, but I know it to be true. Two points I just want to highlight. Number one, God provides opportunities for meeting the needs of others. That's just a statement of truth. Now, whether or not he's going to use you to meet the needs of others, I think sometimes is up to you, because I know he wants to. If you're going to make lemonade out of lemons in life, you have to be a willing participant in that. You have to be God's instrument. You have to be willing to be used. Hardships can be opportunities that God uses to teach us things about trusting Him and serving Him no matter our circumstance. It really is a matter of perspective and how we will live our life trusting God with our life. I grew up in the home of an alcoholic. Today, I'm glad to tell you that's a redemptive story because my father, who is an alcoholic, is no longer drinking. He's sober for 25, 30 years, and he knows the Lord and loves Jesus. Isn't that awesome? My mom and dad have been, they will be married 50 years in June. If my mom and dad 
can still be married? In my family, still be together? Then I know that God can save anybody. Anybody's marriage and anybody's life. My upbringing is a redemptive story now. And God has used it to allow me and my family to meet people where they're at, to love them and serve them. Did it make sense in that time? No. Does it make sense today? Absolutely. Gwen and I had the privilege of caring for my grandma and grandpa the last 10 years of their life. It was hard. It was rewarding. It was a blessing. But it has also provided an opportunity for me to be able to relate to others and walk alongside those who are in the gap years of life. Where you're caring for your kids who are now adults and you're caring for your parents who are now elderly. I know what that's like. And I'm happy to walk alongside others who are living that reality. Last Wednesday night, we had Luke Winger, who was a, he's a juggler. But more than that, he loves Jesus, and he loves to share his story about who Jesus is in his life with others and what he's done. It was a fantastic night. This place was packed with families who not only got to witness a really fun event, but who got to hear about the amazing grace of God. Luke and his wife, Daviana, who happened to be born and raised in South America, they got married. And in 2012, they went to China to teach English. Shortly after they were there, they moved there. They had two boys. Shortly after they were there, she got pregnant, gave birth to a little girl named Tiana. Seven months later, Tiana had an accident in the home and she died. In the midst of having to make decisions about her life, Luke and his wife were not on the same page because they couldn't make a decision together for how to proceed because they wanted to believe God to heal their daughter. And then she got an email one day that talked about organ donation, and she felt it was a word from the Lord. They came together and they agreed that if their daughter won't live, they will donate her organs. And the doctor called and said, your daughter's in a life or death situation. We have to make some choices. It's likely she won't live, but if you want to donate organs, we have to make the decision now. They were in agreement, and they made the decision. At that critical moment, Tiana was this little girl's name. Tiana became the first organ donor that was a foreigner 
in China. Her organs saved two children's lives and provided sight to another child. As a result of that, Chinese government even got involved and provided a big celebration, recognition. And the big question by the Chinese people was, why would you do this? Which gave them an opportunity to share how Jesus directed them to do this. Which resulted in the massive organ donation that had taken place after that to bring more life to people. But greater than this, their story was broadcast all over China. And credit was given to Jesus. And the gospel was being proclaimed. And as a result of that, people came to know Jesus in China because of this tragedy. Oftentimes, our best training to help others is life itself. This family, in the midst of tragedy, found they were still able to find joy in the midst of their hardship because they were able to help others. Second thing we can draw is that God promises to meet even our own every need. When life happens, train yourself to pray first. Our natural tendency is to worry. And the second thing we usually do is try to take the situation into our own hands and fix it. Those aren't two good first options. They're not even good options. Train yourself to pray first. When life happens, perspective here, See it as another opportunity to trust God. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. We can trust God that he's the great provider, that he will fulfill his promises. Oftentimes, God will meet our needs through other people. And so if you're in a place right now where you have needs and pride is getting in the way of you receiving help from others, I pray the Lord will break your pride and you will receive help from others. But if you're in a place right now where you can help others, I pray that your eyes are open and that you're paying attention to others around you and the help that is needed. Sometimes we can just be an encouragement through cards, notes, email, texts, phone calls. Sometimes God provides through timely gifts or job opportunities to meet a necessary need. But sometimes it's just as simple as walking alongside somebody or giving them a helping hand so they don't feel alone. This last week, single mom, she's not single, A mom with three children who her husband is deployed, let me get this straight, needed some help. We provided some hands to help with a few things. And though it was really helpful to have those things done at the house, the greatest benefit was the fact that she knew she didn't have to do it alone. 
You might find yourself in one of life's difficult times where you are the one in need. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hang on for the ride. Be willing to receive help from others. Give yourself time to heal. It's okay. When we go through grief and we need to heal, we need time. So give yourself time. As you find yourself coming out of this, look for opportunities that then God can use you to love and serve others. No one hates the healing process more than the person who's going through it. So let's be gracious and love people through hard times in life. It's the difficulties and tragedies in life that we go through that make us real to others, that give us opportunity to connect with people so that we can come alongside them and actually help them. Here's a promise. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will heal you. And he will help you to help others. I'm going to give you these promises to hold on to right now. Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Matthew 7, 11. So if you sinful people know how good gifts uh, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Philippians 4.19, this is the same God who takes care of me and who will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus. God's got a bag full of goodies. He'll use them all in you. Finally, Psalm 34.10, Even strong lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Those are promises. Lastly, I just want to read this from a source that I found. Difficulties are a part of life. We should know that. But we often act as if we believe that trouble can be eliminated from our lives. Through Paul's example, we can learn that difficulties can be used by God to teach us new things about trusting Him and serving Him, regardless of our circumstances. If we wait until life is calm to begin following and serving God, we will miss out on incredible opportunities to see His power over the situations in life that we face. Isn't that true? I trust today you will leave encouraged that you will see God as the great provider who will not only meet your needs and the needs of those around you, but that he will even use you to meet people's needs in light of the circumstances we go through in life. May you be a blessing today to someone around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for encouraging word today, a reminder of who you are as provider Reminder that you've invited us in to be a part of being a helping hand. God, thank you for the way you love us, care for us as your children. Give us confidence to go into this world, to love others well. In Jesus' name, amen.